Now, take your Bibles and open them to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, that should be easy enough to find. Um, but before I read it, I need to explain something. Um, I'm interrupting the series on the church. You know, we're, we've been doing this little four-part series on the church. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, we, we've done two. We've got two more left. And Lord willing, we'll get to those on September the 7th and the 14th. But it's Labor Day weekend, as you know, and uh, we thought that so many of our people would be traveling and uh, are on the road somehow, and we didn't really want them to miss um, the other parts of that series on the church. And so in light of uh, Labor Day, um, I thought it might be wise to, to, to visit this subject um, on work. And uh, so that's what we're doing this morning. We'll get back to that, uh, that other series on the church next week. But I want to be- begin reading in um, just some selected verses out of Genesis 1 and then Genesis 2. So stay with me. Let's start in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. Uh, then God said, uh, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now in chapter 2, verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground of the Lord, out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And now verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that is something that endures forever. Labor Day. You know, you know what Labor Day is. Um, Labor Day is the start of the political campaigns. <laughs> um, not as originally designed. That's what it's become, but that's not what, what, it, what it was intended for. Really, Labor Day was a celebration of the dignity of work. Uh, wrong again. Um, that's, that's closer But that's not what Labor Day was about uh, originally. You know, Labor Day historically came about in the late 19th century under the presidency of Grover Cleveland, and it was really a celebration of the labor movement, uh, labor unions, and all that had been accomplished via the whole labor movement in this country. But... um, So we do get a chance via Labor Day to take a look at a very significant part of our lives, this this part called work. Uh, We get to look at it, uh, hopefully through a biblical lens, and um, uh, try to 
adjust our thinking concerning it. Um, you do know, don't you, what non-Christians say about us, don't you? Or at least one of the things that they say about us. They say, oh, those people, yeah, they're, they're really, they're one thing on Sunday morning, but they're a different thing on Monday morning. <laughs> Is that true? Uh, I hope not. But be that as it may, guys, um, I, I think, you know, we spend a lot of time at this thing called work. So um, um, let's take this chance to see what God has to say about it. If anything, does God have anything to say about this, this issue uh, where we spend a lot of our lives working? Gang, I, I hope you have heard of this term, the cultural mandate before. Have you ever heard of that? The cultural mandate. Well, if you've never heard of it, it's right here. It's right here in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Um, If you've got a Bible that has notes in it, invariably, those notes are going to say something about the cultural mandate. That's That's what this text is known for that it contains and includes the cultural mandate. Uh, if those words confuse you, it's, it's basically just the first um, job description. It's a job description given to Adam. Uh, it, is, it is how God wanted Adam to spend his time. Now, in that cultural mandate, there are a few things that are said that are of import and significance for us. First of all, the word dominion. Dominion. That is, he has given dominion to to mankind. That is, man is given the right to rule over the created order. Um... It's uh, everything um, that is that you see that's created. Man is supposed to be in charge of it. Now that dominion involved a couple of things, according to this text. Uh, first of all, it, it it involved multiplying and procreation. It involved multiplying and filling the earth. Newsflash: it's filled. You've done a very good job of multiplying. The, uh, the, 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 the created order is filled. You know, there's, there's plenty of us around. Um, the other thing that it involved was the thing um, that is very interesting, subduing the earth. All the fish, all the plants, all the animals... They were to be under man's dominion. Adam, as God's agent. Adam as God's representative. Some people call him his vicegerent. That is, Adam as God's vicegerent was to rule and subdue the created order. Interestingly, one of the first things that you see Adam doing in chapter 2, verses 19 and 20 is that he is naming the animals. God gives him the prerogative 
of naming the animals. And the text says, whatever you call them, that's what they're going to be called. Why, why is a cow called a cow? Because Adam said cows are cows. It's a part of his dominion. It's a part of um, his being exercising his rule over the created order. He names the animals. Then, in addition to that, in this whole subduing process that is mentioned in uh, verse 28 of Genesis 1, God plants a garden. That's verse 8 of chapter 2. Adam didn't plant the garden. Garden doesn't belong to Adam. God planted the garden. God owns the garden. But then he takes Adam, the crown of his creation. He takes Adam um, and he puts him into that garden. Um, And he puts him into that garden for the purpose, chapter 2, verse 15, the purpose is for him to tend it and keep it. That's what dominion looks like. Gardening. It looks like gardening. But at this point in Genesis chapter 2, it's gardening without any weeds. <laughs> now, guys, um, if we were to stop right here, if that's, if, that's as, if that's as far as we went, and we were to um, summarize... Here's what we've got. Um, We've got a man who is uh, created in the image of God. Uh, He's given dominion. He's given dominion over every created thing. He's placed in a God-planted garden, and he's given an assignment. And his assignment in that God-planted garden was to tend it and keep it. The glory of man, as as an expression of his creaturehood, the glory of man is found in his assigned task. And that task is work. (laughs) Work by which he subdued things. And in his so doing, Adam realizes a certain satisfaction because he is playing his intended role. He is realizing his purpose. He is having dominion all accomplished by work. Work was God's idea. It was the way he intended his agents to spend their time. Working. The creator provided a garden. And the creature was to work in it. All to God's glory. You know, is that not a good story? I mean, that, I mean, all it just, God creates, then he appoints man, he builds a garden, he puts man into it, and he tells him to work at it, and then that isn't that a great story? 
It's got kind of a redemptive ring to it, kind of a manly ring to it. And then we come to chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. And um, sin enters um, that, that cosmic car wreck that we call the fall. Sin enters, ruins everything, including work, and we have been uneasy at work ever since, ever since the entrance of sin. And so now, um, here's what that garden, uh, the garden that was at one time weed-free, here's what the garden looks like. On one end of the spectrum, you have folks who, for whom work is misery, drudgery, and absolute boredom. I was shaving the other the other morning and uh, had my radio on, and it's one of those radio call-in shows where where the audience calls in and requests a song. This girl calls in and and um, um, uh, she wants to hear the 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 new hit song by Lady Atta Antebellum. And uh, I don't know whether you've heard the new hit song by Lady Antebellum, but it's called "Hey Bartender." Um. And if you know, I mean, I had to go Google the song and, and get the lyrics of the song. But if you've heard the song, Hey Bartender, it's about a woman who wants to, wants to get to the bar so that she can have a double shot of crown. Now you know what that is, don't you? Don't you? Well, okay. Well, I'll tell you later. And, and she wants to, she wants to, she wants to chase after the disco ball. She wants to dress up, get to the bar, drink a lot, and dance a lot. Well, when she requested that song, the DJ says to her, well, why do you want that song? Now, you know, it's 10.30 in the morning, I guess. You know, what? what it, it, I don't know what time it was. It was, it was noon or so. Why, why, why do you want that song? And she says, um, because I'm at work and I don't want to be here. Well, that's what you got, ladies and gentlemen. You got a, you got a one end of the spectrum. You got people who are at work. They hate their work. They're sorry they're there. They wish they weren't there. And the only thing that they can do to, to, to redeem it and, and to endure it is to think about maybe Friday night I'll get to the bar and I can have a double shot of crown and I can chase around the disco ball. That's on one end of the spectrum. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got people um, who, who find their absolute identity in their work. That is, they define themselves by what they do. They have a name for that, ladies and gentlemen. It's called work uh, it's become their God. Uh, you know, they worship their, what they do. So you've got, you've got on one end of the spectrum, you know, I just want to chase a disco ball. Get me out of this nasty job that I'm in. And on the other hand, you've got people who are, 
who are, uh, whose absolute God is their job. The rest of us somewhere fit in between those two ends of the spectrum. Now, guys, um, God in his kindness, in his absolute favor and undeserved favor, has called us to himself. We, because of Jesus Christ, are new creatures. We, um, we've been bought with a price. We belong to Jesus. And so now, because we belong to Jesus, we're supposed to view everything through the lens of belonging to this Jesus. We're supposed to view everything differently, including work. Being owned by Christ makes all other definitions of our personhood irrelevant. I'm supposed to view all of my life through a grid that says I belong to Jesus. So, in light of that, how are blood-bought people like us supposed to view our jobs? What are we supposed to think about that? Well, guys, that's what I want to do with you in my closing minutes. I want to show you a few places where the Bible addresses this whole subject. Um, <clears throat> if you can, <clears throat> there's a couple of places where Paul does. <clears throat> uh, but I want you to, I've chosen the one in Colossians. If you can find Colossians real fast, it's um, right after Philippians. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right before 1 Thessalonians. If you can find Colossians real fast, I want to read you a, a, a little bit um, out of that passage. Colossians chapter 3, okay? Are you there? Uh, I'm in Colossians 3, and I want, you, I, want, I, want to note, I want you to notice something. It begins in verse 18, and it starts by giving instructions to wives, then husbands, then children, then fathers, and we arrive at verse 22. Bond servants. I'll tell you what let's do. Let's substitute a word for that. Let's just call them employees, okay? Employees. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, Do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Now guys, I want to draw a couple of uh, applications out of that. But the first thing that I want you to see is the text does not stop there. It really goes on into chapter 4 and verse 1. It says there, masters or employers, 
Give your bond servants what is, give your employees what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, there's a couple of things that I want to, just want to draw to that text in terms of application. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, work is never an end in of itself. It is a means to an end. Okay, so what's the end? The end is that my real boss will be, will be pleased. Whatever I'm doing, I'm supposed to doing it knowing that I have a boss. And that boss is not the guy in the corner, in the office down the hall. No, no, no. My boss is not him or her. My boss, my boss, he dwells at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And so whatever it is that I'm doing, I'm doing so that he might be pleased, not that other guy. No, 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 no. My work is just a means to an end of seeing my real boss be glorified. I can take any task and turn it into a sacred calling because I know that what I'm doing, I'm not looking for the pleasure and the smile of the guy in the office down the hall. Oh, I'm looking for a smile, all right, but it's not his or hers. No, no, no. My work is nothing but a means to an end. It is a way, it is one of the ways by which God hopefully gets glory out of the life that I live. Now, notice something, guys, about this text. It is not simply and only aimed at employees. It is also aimed at employers. It is aimed at the people who you work for, the bosses. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we have in our city an absolute eyesore. It's called Kellogg's. They make cereal. This whole thing that is erupted in the city over Kellogg's, at Kellogg's. I mean, these people get locked out and then those people, you know, pick it and then they go to court and then they they go back to another court and then one court says put them back to work and the other court says no you don't have to and and it just oh, it's just an ugly mess so who's wrong whose side are we on neither of them ladies and gentlemen management has abused labor and labor has sought to gouge management Do you know why? Because of Genesis chapter 3. Ladies and gentlemen, because principles that are found clearly in the New Testament are being ignored, we end up with a Kellogg's. I'm I'm not for management there. I'm not for labor there. Because labor has done wrongly and so has management, ladies and gentlemen. We ignore these principles and we end up with Kellogg's. Gang, for us, people who belong to Jesus Christ, people who have been bought with the price, our work is a means to an end. 
It's not an end in and of itself. It's a means to an end. And the, and the real end is that God get glory from the way that we work. Um, when you ignore these principles, ladies and gentlemen, you end up with all kinds of havoc in the workplace. Oh, I'm bored in my job. Really? I'm not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't look for another one. I'm not saying that you should not go back to school. And I'm not saying any of that. I'm simply saying, in your present job, you have an assignment. Whatever that job is. And your assignment is right here. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Right there. So the first thing. The first thing that we ought to be thinking as, as people who belong to Jesus is that our work is a means to an end. Um, and we're going to do it not to please that boss, but that boss. Now, here's a second principle. Guys, we ought to be the ones, the Christians, we ought to be the ones getting the promotions. Why? Because we lust for the corner office? Of course not. Um, we ought to be getting the promotions because we seek to please not a boss, but a Lord. So what that means is we're more diligent, we're more honest, we're more dependable than anybody else in the company. So who normally gets promoted? Well, it's the diligent and the honest and the dependable. Not without exception, but in general. Guys, we're the ones that ought to be being elevated. Why? Because we're serving a bigger boss than the company boss. And his demands on me are far greater than the company boss. And I serve him, not you. I'll even go this far, ladies and gentlemen, and this might get me in trouble. But we Christians, <clears throat> we ought to be the ones who are the most prosperous. But not because we lust for material wealth. But but because the virtues that are expected of us by Jesus Christ normally are the ones that are being rewarded in this fallen world. For example, who do you want to buy a car from? Do you want to buy a car from somebody who's honest or dishonest? Well, I want to buy a car from somebody that's honest. Well, of course you do. Guys, our honesty as Christians is not driven by our lust for more sales. Our, our desire to be honest is driven by a love for the Savior who loves truth. It's, it's because our Savior is truth that our customers, they get truth from us. We represent the truth. Consequently, our customers get nothing but truth from us. Because, you see, I'm not serving the company. I'm serving the real boss. And, oh, his demands of me are far greater than, than what, what my company demands of me. My goodness. So, ladies and gentlemen, because... 
because our allegiances are with Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I'm saying we ought to be the ones getting the promotions because we are more virtuous. We are more dependable. We are more honest. We are more reliable. We, we do get there and work because we serve Christ. Here's the third principle. Gang, hard work is the norm. Look at what it says. Whatever you do, do it heartily. Gang, um, I I know that the workplace can be a real battlegrounds. Um, (laughs) I was talking to a man, had a lunch appointment on Friday, and and um, he was talking to me about going into the ministry, and and um, and I asked him. Um, I said, "Well, why do why do you want to go into the ministry?" And he said, "Well, you know, in the corporate world, you can really get beat up." I said, "Well, let me ask you: Do you not think you can get beat up and over in my world? Do you think they only beat you up over in the corporate world? No, no, no they beat you up everywhere." Because we live in a fallen, broken planet. Um, guys, I know that the workplace can be, can be difficult. You've got, um, you've got all those rivalries, all those injustices and, and inequities that happen in the, in the workplace. You've got all those fractious relationships. I, I, I get it. But ladies and gentlemen, Jesus didn't do that. The workplace is difficult because of sin, and and it's part of our sin. But that doesn't give us some uh, some kind of right to be lazy. It doesn't give us an excuse to do things unheartily. Oh yeah, well I see it says right there that I'm supposed to work heartily, but you know you know uh, I'm, there's some, some inequities in my workplace. There's inequities in every workplace. But we do our work heartily. You know, um, if you're of the younger generation, um, to you younger out there, do you, do you know what my generation, how my generation describes you? Do you know what we say about you? Here, here's what we say. Well, um, they want more money and less work. And then you say in reply, you say, well, that's just because you're a bunch of old funny duties and you just like to gripe. You know, you're probably right. But whoever you are, if you're lazy, it's not because you're young. It's not because of a generational thing. If you're lazy, it's because of your sin. You know, the Apostle Paul said, if they don't work, they don't eat. Oh, but you know, <laughs> I, I sure wanna, I, I sure wanna eat and I wanna eat well. But that work stuff, that work stuff, you know, um, uh, I'd, I'd rather play. Well, my friend, that's not because you're young. That's not because you're from a different generation. It's because of your sin. 
Guys, the people who belong to Jesus, according to this text, whatever it is that we find our hands doing, we do it heartily. Hard work is the norm. If you, if you abuse sick days, if you call in sick because you want to go deer hunting, or if you call in sick because you want to go shopping with your daughter, my friend, that's sin. There's nothing else, no way else to explain that. It's not that you're, you know, sticking it to the man. No, 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 no. No, you're, you're, you're just in outright disobedience. Guys, um, that, that abuse of things, that's not just laziness. That's dishonesty. And my real boss, um, my real boss, he loves the truth. Uh, he is the truth. So I tell the truth. Um, and to do less than that, that's because of my sin. All of that, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, this text leads me to conclude that hard work, Hard work is just the norm for those of us who belong to this Jesus. Uh, you know, we've got an elder around here. Um, I won't tell you his name, but um, he's a retired Navy captain. Anyway, he, he tells a story about a, a saying that they had in the Navy. And the saying in the Navy was this. What interests my boss fascinates me. What interests my boss fascinates me. Well, my brother and sister in Christ, (laughs) do you know who our boss is? Um, And do you know what interests him? Holy living, obedience. So whatever interests my boss, that fascinates me. I'm all on it. And at least one of the things that according to this text interests him is that we do our work heartily. Now one other thing, then I'll be done. Guys, nothing about our work is meritorious. You got to get that. Um, let's just say that we're hard workers, that we're faithful employees, that we're, that we're financially rewarded. Great. But none of that. None of that contributes one iota to my worth as an individual. My worth is not established by my job. Our job performance is just one way that we can give glory to the God who has found a way to save us. You and I must must never forget that all of our skills, all of our abilities, um, all of our opportunities, all of those open doors... They came from the gracious hand of the Heavenly Father. 
He gave me the ability to make wealth. So you're a, you're a good salesman, are you? Good. You're a good teacher, are you? Great, great, great. Um, really good with computers, are you? Man, I wish I were. You kind of got a savvy when it comes to engineering. Great, great, great. I'm happy for you. But do you know where you got that? Do you know where you got those skills and abilities and opportunities? Do you know how you got that education that you got? Do you know how those doors opened for you? Do you know where that came from? All of it. All of it, ladies and gentlemen. All of it came from the gracious hand of this God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't earn anything. All of it has come to me by way of gift. You know, guys, that's what is taught in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. And I want you to know, if I could, if I could choose to hammer one truth other than salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, but besides that one, if I could choose to hammer one truth for the rest of my ministry, it would be that one. You know, do you know how the text goes? It goes like this. What do you have that you did not receive? Huh? What do you got? What you got out there, huh? You got a nice portfolio. Way to go. You got some great skills. I'm happy for you. You got some aptitudes, do you? Things come easy for you, huh? Great. Do you know where you got that? What do you have that you did not receive? And then the text goes on. And if you did receive it, then why do you act like that? Why do you act like you didn't receive it? Why do you act like you earned it? Why do you act like you're, that, it's, that it's made you more valuable than anybody else? Because what you got You received it. And when I forget that, all kinds of ugly things I begin to do. I get puffed up and I get arrogant and I get high-minded and I think these people aren't as good as I am. And yeah, yeah, it's just, you want to know why the workplace is difficult? Because you got a bunch of employees and employers, all who have forgotten. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive? <laughs> you got any answers to that question? Neither do I. Everything I got. Everything I got. He gave to me. Now I'll quit like this, guys. The only meritorious work ever done is the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
you know, towards the end of his life, towards the last few minutes of his life, while he's hanging on a cross, he looks to the Father and he says, um, Father, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, Father, uh, that work that you gave me to do, it's done. It's finished. I did it. Every, every jot and tittle of it, it's done. Guys, the reason that any of us, any of us, the reason that any of us are saved people this very moment is not because we did our jobs well. It's because Jesus Christ did his job perfectly well. And by faith, we get credit for that. That's the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. That's what's changed us. And one of the things that it's supposed to change is the way we work. You think about that. Our Father, I do pray that you will uh, remind us that everything about us is supposed to be different. Everything. The way our marriages function, the way we parent, the way we recreate, the way we work, all of it. It's supposed to reflect that we belong to Jesus Christ. So, Father, um, where that is not true, would you show us so that we might repent and correct, that we might be um, agents of absolute revival in our workplace? Might, might, might our workplace have a redemptive aroma to it because we're trying to please our boss? the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray.